You're listening to the Aaron J. Dodson Podcast. This is the podcast where I discuss the sacred text of God's Word and subjects related to it, and I do my best to help myself and others understand it, that we might keep God's law and we might observe it with our whole hearts. And that's based on the concept of Psalm 119, verse 34. In this episode, I want to discuss what I think is a very relevant, very pressing, and very good question, multiple questions surrounding one particular topic, and that is the subject of the Christian and civil government. I was recently asked and, and have already answered this in another setting, but wanted to do a podcast on it. How can Christians support leaders, that is, our current president and government, even when our views and beliefs are totally opposite each other's? Are world leaders appointed by God every time, even when they will be evil, that is, Hitler or Kim Jong-un? And a third question, why would God appoint evil leaders? These are very relevant questions. This is something that I have thought about off and on a lot. I've studied off and on a lot, and I studied even more uh, prior to this particular you know, recording of the podcast. And there are certain things that I want us to consider about this, about at least four or five concepts probably to answer these um, questions. And to begin with, I want us to consider together Romans chapter 13, a well-known passage to Christians about submitting to government. I'll be reading Romans chapter 13, verses 1 through 7. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister and avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs are due, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. Well, that's the classic text to which we turn when we talk about the new covenant, the Christian and the civil government. The question was asked, How can Christians support leaders, that is, our current president and governmental officials, even when our views and beliefs are totally opposite each other's? Let me begin by by stating that God either passively allows leaders to get the positions that they do, or He actively puts them in power via the power of His providence. I believe that to be the case. He either passively allows leaders such as Adolf Hitler or Kim Jong-un or Donald Trump or Joe Biden and so on the list goes, or he actively puts them in power via the power of his providence. And the question was asked, how can Christians support such leaders? 
Well, for one, we can respect their office. We can not speak evil of them. We can speak the truth about them, and we can preach the gospel to them, and we can warn others of their evil influence. Jesus uh, did that, and so did John the baptizer with Herod and so forth. But one of the ways that we can respect them and one of the ways that we can support them, if you will, is by praying for them. And we don't need to overlook this. 1 Timothy chapter 2, I'd like to read verses 1 through 4. 1 Timothy 2, verses 1 through 4. Therefore, Paul wrote, I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all people, for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. There you go. Now, why would we pray for them, Paul? Paul tells us why. That we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all men or all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. So the responsibility for the child of God, as far as supporting our uh, civil government leaders, one is to pray for them. And here's one of the things that we're to pray. We are to pray that we might be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life, a life of tranquility in all godliness and reverence. Now, there's another passage that comes to mind that touches on this matter. First Peter 2, 13 and following where the Apostle Peter wrote, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honor all people Love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Some translations say honor the emperor. Certainly the emperor is what they had in that time. So we're to pray for our civil leaders that we might be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. And we're to pray for them. Uh, I'm not sure that we can pray for their, um, you know, we can't pray for anything against their will, of course, but we can pray that these individuals might have the opportunity to hear the gospel. But, of course, we need to be to answer that prayer and make, it way, make a way possible where they can hear the gospel and have the opportunity to obey. Now, here's another thought that I wanted to share, and that is that evil leaders, there have been many, 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 many of them, evil leaders may be a punishment or to teach a lesson. Considering the long ago, King Saul, remember uh, as recorded, and I'm looking very quickly, I do believe 1 Samuel chapter 9, 8 and 9, where they desire and demand to have a king like the nations. If you'll consider with me 1 Samuel 8, verses 1 and following. Now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his firstborn was Joel, and the name of his second Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons didn't walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain, took bribes, and perverted justice. 
Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Look, you are old and your sons don't walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them up out of, the, out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also. Now therefore heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly warn them, forewarn them, and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked him for a king. And he said, This will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen. And some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties. Will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest. And some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cookers, or excuse me, cooks and bakers. And he will take the best of your fields, your vineyards and your olive groves, and give them to his servants. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage, and give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men and your donkeys, and put them to, to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants, and you will cry out in that day because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, No, but we will have a king over us, that we also may be like all the nations, that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, Heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, Every man go to his city. And chapter 9 records Saul being chosen as the first king of united Israel. Now, my point of reading all that text is this. You can tell that it didn't look like it was God's will for them to have a king. He knew that they would want it. He gave regulations in the in the Mosaic Code of, of how that um, you know, how that would, how that king was to live and to conduct himself and so forth, Deuteronomy 17. But it was not his desire. It was definitely not his will. He didn't want them to have a, a king. He was their king. He knew that a king like this would just get in the way. But nonetheless, nonetheless, they wanted a king. They demanded a king. They were bent on having a king. And so God allowed it. He permitted it. And he had Samuel, his great prophet and priest, to appoint the first king. And they got the kind of king that they wanted. I mean, they got, they got what they asked for. And so I'm thinking that evil leaders might be a punishment on a group of people or a nation of people or to teach a lesson or both. Again, Saul, I mean, I think that he serves as a good example of this. Now, are world leaders appointed by God every time, even when they're evil, Hitler or Kim Jong-un? Again, when I look at Romans 13, I'm not sure that the language is, is specific enough to say that it's always God's will when a ruler like Hitler comes to power. But 
even if it is, it would be by the fact that he passively allowed such a leader to rise to power. That or he would actively put them in power through the power of his providence. Again, because evil leaders can be a, a, a form of punishment or to teach a lesson, just like with Saul and other wicked kings that would follow them after the dividing and the division of the kingdom. These are good questions. So to answer the question, why would God appoint evil leaders or why would he permit such? My answer would be to teach us a lesson or to teach any group of people or a nation a lesson to punish them even because God has such authority. He does do that. Often, though, what I want to address here is this. Often, those who say Christians should have no place in civil government and that the government is not the way uh, to influence even our country, America, today, are some of the same ones that want us to interfere in other nations because other nations are persecuting people who profess Christ. And so I would say that would be inconsistent and even hypocritical. Now, the thing about Romans 13 is that I think we often overlook verses 2 through 4 Romans 13 is teaching that the role of the government is to keep peace and to secure nations. And you could also look at the pattern of God's commands and expectations for the nations throughout the Old Covenant and how God expected these men to humble themselves before God and also to serve the people and help the people and to protect the people and those kinds of things. And so, you know, the role of government, well, they have a role from God. And that is to, to, to make security, to make peace. But another thing I'd like to point out is that the Bible does not say that all governments are acceptable in God's eyes. No doubt, many, if not most governments, in many ways, have been sinful in the eyes of God, as we know from observation and we know from what the Scriptures teach about godliness and sin. Often, Government is not fulfilling the role that God gave it. And, of course, God will um, hold those individuals accountable. But a question that, that comes up is, and it, as it relates to civil government, is also voting, especially with what we have in the United States where we have the freedom and liberty to go and, and vote at a poll and so forth at a voting booth, etc. Um, a question that often comes up is, who should I vote for? Here's my, I'm going to have three ideas that I want to share, and I'm going to work backwards. I'll start with answering the question, who should I vote for? Vote your values to the best of your ability. Vote your Christian values. Vote your Christian principles. Um, obviously, uh, we are not able, I have never been able to, and you haven't either, been able to vote for a, a man running as president who was a faithful member of the one church. Uh, so no matter who you vote for, you're not voting for someone for president that's a faithful member of the one church. Uh, that being said, vote your values to the best of your ability. Um, the thing that I'm concerned about about politics today is that more and more the dividing line is over moral issues, not civil policy. You, you, you know, you go back 
20, 40, 60 years ago, and much of the division uh, among, you know, the two-party system in the United States, excuse me, had to deal and had to do with civil policy and how to carry that out, ways to do those things. Now much of it is a dividing line over morals. And um, I have a brother in Christ, and many of you do, if you're listening to this and you're in Christ, John D. Berry, um, who served as a House of Representative in the Tennessee House for many years. For many years, he spoke, uh, he ran and got in his position on the Democrat ticket and often spoke against and opposed abortion, LGBT, and other letters with it. And he often taught the gospel, too, no doubt. I've met this man, faithful, godly man, Christian man, faithful gospel preacher. And uh, just in the last two years or less, he, he was kicked out of the Democrat Party because of this. And he said, you can't be in the party anymore. And so for me, that's something that really gets my attention. And I want to share that information with others. That a faithful member of the church in Tennessee, Tennessee, mind you, could not continue to run on the Democrat ticket to get in the House of Representatives of Tennessee because he was opposing abortion and LGBT and teaching the truth about those subjects. That should say, that should say volumes to the child of God who wants more godliness in society. Um, there is a party that's saying what they will do in regard to sexuality, sexualizing our children and uh, hormone blockers and sex changes and all these kinds of things. And there is a party that, that kicked Brother John D. Berry out of it. <laughs> now, that is not to extol the other party. That is not to say that the other party is sinless or wonderful or they're all godly. And if, if, that, if you hear that out of what I'm saying, I'm afraid that you are being politically biased. If, if we would be honest about this matter, at this point in time, there is a party that you can, that you can run in and you can exist in. You can oppose LGBT. You can oppose uh, abortion and not be kicked out of their party. Now, folks, this is not about parties, but this is about how we are dual citizens as Christians, citizens of the kingdom of heaven, citizens of the United States of America. And I ask the question, how should I vote? Because that's often asked. People wonder. I've wondered. Ultimately, you have to do the very best you can based on your knowledge and on the word of God and on your conscience. Okay? And I'm not the final judge of all those things. God is. But again, take, take a close look at what we know about the platforms, the political platforms, the political parties. And my advice is vote your values to the very best of your ability. Now, I said I was going to work backward. That's the third thing that I want to mention that a child of God can do. The second thing is a child of God can pray. And we've already mentioned that in 1 Timothy 2, that we might be able to leave, excuse me, lead a quiet and peaceable life and all reverence and godliness. So prayer is so very important for the child of God in regard to our civil government. Pray about it. Pray there'll be more righteousness. 
Pray that godliness will abound. Pray that godly leaders will rise up. Pray that godly members of the church will speak up and speak out against the things that are sinful and not be concerned about offending people in political parties, but instead exposing sin and upholding righteousness through conversations and through uh, you know, preaching and teaching in the gospel's sake. Number one, when it comes to voting, this one does not have directly to do with your personal voting, but the voting of others, and that is teach people the gospel. The more we teach the gospel to people, I believe overall the better the voting will be and the better the candidates that we will get, especially if our system continues based on voting. And, and you know, and, and let's pray that we can have as much of a, um, you know, unaltered, unadulterated voting system, voting uh, situation. Uh, because that concept is what this country was built on, uh, that everyone seemingly had a voice. And that's, that's important to a, to, to a republic. It really is. With all that said, I, I'm saying that because we are children of God, citizens of heaven. And as children of God, we're children of God. Most all, not all, but most of all, probably, the people that are listening to my podcast are located in the United States of America, as I am. And so, we need to recognize these things as they are. We need to know that God either passively allows leaders or He actively puts them in through His providence. And that we can support those rulers by not speaking evil of them, uh, praying for them, that we might be able to lead a quiet and peaceable life, and also recognizing that evil leaders could be a punishment or to teach a lesson. It certainly seems that way in times past, and I think that concept is true of the New Covenant as well. Let's don't be ones who are inconsistent about these matters. And that's where it comes becomes very challenging for the child of God. Because, because for some children of God, they just can't vote for, you know, this individual or that individual because both of them are sinful people and they're not faithful members of the church. And I get that, that we would love to have a faithful member of the church as a president of our country, our great, you know, opportunity to put someone in there, hopefully, of such a caliber. But until that time comes, we don't, we've not had that and we don't have that. Now, I've heard that back in the 1800s, you had Garfield, you know, but folks, we're 100 plus years removed from that so you know that was not not an option not a choice for us today but what we have is we have god laying down instructions for civil government and when we live in a country where we can vote and that was shaped the way rules and laws are are made and upheld my encouragement to you is to vote your principles the very best that you can and to know that as a human being and as a citizen of this country, do what you can legally to help hold the civil government accountable to um, fulfilling their role, namely to keep peace and to secure nations. Keep that in mind. These civil government leaders and rulers, they will individually stand or fall before God. 
no doubt God knows all things and God will judge them accordingly in righteousness and in truth. That being said, I've probably said about all I want to say for now. I want to save uh, a few thoughts for another time about civil government. But how can we support them? Pray for them. Don't be disrespectful toward them. That doesn't mean we can't preach and teach the gospel about them. It doesn't mean that we can't point out certain areas in their lives where they are missing the mark with the purpose of instructing them or instructing others, with the purpose of getting people to obey God and live by the gospel. But just remember that it may be that God is having this, you know, God is putting this individual in there to, by his providence to punish or to teach a lesson because we do see that pattern uh, in the Old Testament. So keep all that in mind. And keep in mind this. Civil government has responsibility and God will hold them accountable. It's not our job to be violent. Uh, it's our job to preach the gospel, to pray, to pray hard, and finally, to vote our values the best of our ability, to the best of our ability. If we're going to vote, if our conscience so allows us, then we need to, it makes sense, vote for those individuals that hopefully, prayerfully, will be better for leading our country than the other or the others that are up for election. Well, a lot could be said, a lot could be argued about, I think. But that's all I want to cover in this episode. If it blessed you in any way, consider helping me by sharing the podcast so that the word will get out there. This uh, is the Aaron J. Dodson podcast, and it is supported by the Washington Avenue Church of Christ, the congregation with which I labor here in Jonesboro, Arkansas. If you're ever in our area of Jonesboro, Arkansas, come by and visit us at 2001 West Washington Avenue, Jonesboro, Arkansas, 72401. God bless, and I will catch you next time.